This is day 231 of our daily Bible reading. We are going to finish the book of Hebrews today, chapters 11 through 13. Lord God, magnify our faith. Our faith is usually so weak, Lord. We trust our eternal destination with you, but not the day-to-day things. We allow the temporal things to get in the way of the eternal. We allow the physical to get in the way of the spiritual. Lord, wretched people we are, but help us, Lord, to be better. Help us to be sanctified in your name, so that we will not be ashamed of ourselves, but also not to put you to shame. You have blessed us beyond imagination, and the least that we can do is to render our bodies in your service without any sort of hesitation or reservation. As we finish the book of Hebrews, Lord, impress upon our heart what you want us to know through your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that, before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers 
and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they have been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel, and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, and not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down, after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient, after she welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, 
Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, 
though he sought for it with tears. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without even knowing it. Remember the prisoners, as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. 
for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that gives thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom, if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all of your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Congratulations for finishing the book of Hebrews, the longest book of the New Testament at this point before the book of Revelation. We're going to breeze by these other ones because they're so short until we get to Revelation. But I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. There was so much in here that just really encouraged me and lifted up my heart. Chapter 11 is what we would call the faith chapter or the Hall of Heroes of Faith. Now, the thing is, though, is that these men are not heroes. Did they have faith? Yes. But they didn't do the actual acts. It was God that did it through them. So often, the Bible shows not only the things they did well, but so often we see the things that they did not do well. The areas where they struggled. The areas where they were weak. And through their weakness, God was able to accomplish so much. And I love how the Bible does that. It doesn't depict humanity as being greater than it actually is. It shows that God is the one that is exalted and not us. And I love that. Because we so often fill ourselves with pride. Or that common misconception that humans have infinite potential. We just have to unlock your potential and... You have no idea the extent of how awesome mankind is across the galaxy. 
And you see that in a lot of movies too, right? You see it where if they encounter alien species or even in video games, when they encounter creatures from other species that are even otherworldly or some sort of super powerful demigod level stuff. The overarching theme of all this is just how humans have so much potential and these other races and species always underestimate them. We overestimate ourselves. And the Bible does that on purpose because it shows how depraved we are, it shows how weak we are, and how not in control of our destiny we are. And so it magnifies and exalts the Lord to his proper place, and that is exactly why it is depicted in this way. Not only that, but it also makes people thousands of years ago so relatable, right? You're telling me that Abraham had the same problems I did at one point? Yeah. So it shows you that the human condition is timeless in its issues, and that it's all related to sin in some way or another. So it's beautiful how it shows that. But this particular chapter is talking about the things that they did well, and in particular, why these men were great in the Bible, because of their faith. Their faith is what made them great. And now we have a working definition of what faith is. If you weren't really sure before what faith is, here's your definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So what this is talking about here is that it gives reality and proof of things unseen. So it's treating them as if they were already objects of sight rather than something that was of hope. Does that make sense? So where we can't see some of the stuff that God is going to do, and we certainly can't tell the future, but we have that trust, we have that confidence in God, and even in a God we can't see, that these things are real and they are going to happen. That is what genuine faith is. And so we have this working definition. And then it says in verse 2, For by it the men of old gain approval. That's why these men are considered great. Because they gained God's approval through their faith. Verse 3, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. As opposed to what? Things like evolution, Big Bang, so on and so forth. So that which is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And I thought this was a very fascinating verse because there's a study I did a while back on science in the Bible. The Bible is a science book, and so often it was light years ahead of its time in terms of its understanding of certain things. This is one of them. It says that the worlds were prepared, or literally in the Greek it says the ages have been prepared. But what I found fascinating is this also explains how all things were made out of things we can't see. What can't we see with the naked eye? You can't see particles. You can't see cells. You can't see molecules. And yet all those are created by what we can't see. 
and the universe is created on these things. So if you look at it from a biblical perspective, when it was written 2,000 years ago, the world was made out of things that it cannot see. Today, we know what they are because we have microscopes and more powerful technology. But back then, they didn't know. But how fascinating that the Bible declares that all things were made out of things we can't see. Not only is it talking about how God can make anything out of nothing, but also, quite literally, the world is made out of particles. And I thought that was amazing. Now, chapter 11 is so rich in its theology and its understanding that you could write whole sermons out of this chapter. But for the sake of time, obviously, we're not going to do that. So I'll just briefly explain each one. So it begins with Abel. Now, we don't really know anything about Abel, except that in the book of Genesis, he was giving his offering to the Lord, as well as his brother Cain. God accepted Abel's, but not Cain's. The writer of Hebrews here is saying that Abel's offering was accepted because Abel had faith, and Cain did not. And it really is that simple. Nothing is said like this in Genesis, and we we never hear Abel speak, but his actions are what causes the faith. And that's why also that Abel's sacrifice was more acceptable to God than Cain's. Not that because he just didn't like Cain, it was a matter of the heart. And then it mentions that though he is dead, he still speaks. What he's talking about here is that He is a witness to future generations, like us, of what it means to be a person of faith. Or alternatively, it means that Abel was vindicated from the judgment because of his sacrifice and his faith. So it could be either one, and they both make sense. Then it talks about Enoch, and if we remember Enoch, he was one of two men who never died. He walked with God, and then God just took him to heaven straight away. He didn't have to suffer death. And besides that, we don't really know a whole lot about Enoch. Now, I do know there is an apocryphal book called the Book of Enoch. And it is a very interesting read, I won't lie. But it is not the Bible, let's be very clear. Because there are some things in there that contradict Scripture. Some of it may be true, and some of it is true, in fact. Because when we get to the Book of Jude... Jude is going to mention something from the book of Enoch. And if it's in the Bible, it's true. But it doesn't mean that the whole book of Enoch is right. It's just meaning that that one piece is correct. So be careful when it comes to Apocrypha. Some people make those things in order to counterfeit and to deceive people, as well as to purposely lead people astray from the faith. It's all a show, and it's all fake. So be very careful what you read, because there's a lot of stuff that people say, it's a lost book of the Bible. No, it's not. There are 66 books in the Christian Bible, and those are the only ones that belong in the Bible. Some of the extra ones, for example, like what the Catholics have in their Bible, the book of Tobit, the book of Judith, so on and so forth, those are not scriptural canon. Those were not inspired by God. They were creations of men. 
and therefore are not divinely appraised. So be careful what you read outside of the Bible. It's okay to read it, and it's definitely worth reading, but don't consider it gospel, because it will change the way you look at the rest of the Bible, and we don't want to do that. Then it says here in verse 6, something very important we need to keep in mind. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if we don't have any faith at all, God is not pleased with us. That is why he is not pleased with the world at large, because it has no faith. It is a faithless world. Think about when Jesus was on earth. Whenever people lacked faith, he called them out, and he was not happy about it. Oh, you of little faith, right? Or why do you lack faith? Why do you doubt? So he says that a lot because he doesn't like the lack of faith. He wants people to believe him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must have two things. They must believe that he is, meaning that he exists. You must believe that God really is real. Okay? And then the second thing is that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you think that you can go to God and get something good from him? Do you believe that if you do good things, God will reward you? Yes. It's like when you're teaching a young kid how to obey and how to be on good behavior. When they do things well, they get snacks or candy or whatever you do for them. But when they don't do well, then there's punishment, right? And so God is the same way. Not necessarily in a angry God kind of way, but it says that he is like a father to us, and we are like sons to him. And there are male sons and female sons, let's be clear. Chapter 12 is going to complete that thought when it comes to the discipline of the Lord, but we'll get there in a minute. Then it goes to Noah. Noah prepared an ark. And if you understand the backdrop of this from when we read it in Genesis, it likely had never rained before. And not only that, but it took him 100 years to build this thing. And you can imagine during the 100 years that he's building this thing, in the middle of nowhere, where there's no water around, you can imagine the kind of ridicule and insults he received. But what the Bible says is that he used it as a witness, as a prophet, in order to show, look, this is coming. Y'all need to repent and get on this boat with me. But no one got on the boat with him except his family because no one repented. Not that the boat wasn't available to them, but they were not worthy of it in God's eyes because they had no faith. That's the truth. Then there is a lengthy understanding of how Abraham was a man of faith, and we know that he was by the things that he did. He sojourned in the promised land even though it was already his but he acted like he was an alien in the land. But he was looking for a specific place. He was looking for a city that God built himself. And it turned out to be New Jerusalem, which is in heaven. And even his wife Sarah gets a mention here because she had faith in the promise that God made to her that she was going to bear a child. And it happened, even though she was way past the age of childbirth. 
Chapter 13 describes how all these people died in faith, and then they got to see the fulfillment of everything that they hoped for in heaven. And so that is our goal as well, that the things that we believe in will come into fruition when we die. Abraham gets another call out here because he believed in everything God said, even if it didn't make any sense to him. Think about when God told Abraham to take Isaac on top of Mount Moriah, which is where the temple is currently at, and to sacrifice him there, even though it says specifically that the promise was made that through Isaac his descendants would come. So how could you kill Isaac and yet his descendants will come from him? So Abraham believed that God was going to conquer death and somehow bring Isaac back to life. That's how much faith there was. And that concept of resurrection had never happened before. So that is amazing how he could do that. Then it mentions that by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. So even though he was deceived by the hairy hands and all that stuff that they did and that plot, Rebecca was the one that did that, if you recall, because she got the divine message from God that Jacob was supposed to receive the blessings and not Esau. But Isaac simply obeyed God on this one. There's more to it than that, but I'm really watering it down. The dimensions that by faith Jacob did stuff. Now we know he was a rascal most of his life, but as he got older, he started to calm down and he started to be more obedient to the Lord, especially after he wrestled Jesus and won. Not that he was stronger than Jesus, but it was a very important point in Jacob's life where he became a new person. His heart was regenerated within him. And after that, he was never the same kind of man. In verse 22, it talks about how Joseph had faith. Now, this one is interesting because it mentions that there will be an exodus. So he's not only remembering the promises of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, But it also shows you that even though he was second in command of Egypt, he never considered himself an Egyptian. Also consider the names of his kids. He didn't give them Egyptian names. He gave them Hebrew names. He never saw himself as an Egyptian. He held fast to his ancestral heritage and everything that God had ever told his ancestors. So that's something remarkable to think about. Then we have Moses, and we know a lot about what happened with Moses. He grew up as a son of Pharaoh, not necessarily the same Pharaoh that he fought with during the ten plagues, but he grew up as almost like a prince, really. That's why that animated movie about Moses is called The Prince of Egypt, because, yeah, he literally was. But yet he didn't see himself as a prince. And he didn't see himself as an Egyptian. He saw himself as a Hebrew. And he saw the oppression that his people were going through. And he wanted to do something about it. He went about it the wrong way, but God had it all planned out. It was all ordained for a reason. And then we see that after the Exodus, and the way he led the people, and all the things he was instructed by God to institute, such as the tabernacle, the priesthood, all that, he was obedient to all of it. 
except for that one time where he got angry and hit the rock. Everything else, he completely obeyed. By faith, the walls of Jericho went down. The people marching around that city believed that the walls were going to fall down, and they did because of their faith. Even Rahab the harlot, who is actually in the ancestry of Jesus Christ, was spared and married one of the spies because of what she did. Her faith caused her to be safe when those walls fell down. And then the writer of Hebrews is like, look, I can keep going, but there's so many people throughout the Old Testament that we could talk about here. And their common symptom, they were people of faith, and amazing things happened through them. And of all the names that are on this list, one that really stood out to me was Samson. If you remember Samson, he was not the best guy. You always grow up hearing him being some sort of superhero, right? Because he has super strength and and God is working amazing things in him, but he was a really terrible guy in a lot of ways. And yet he did have genuine faith, especially at the end of his life, remember? When they took his eyes out, he lost his strength. And yet when he was in chains, he said, Lord, let me do this one thing. Give me my strength one last time. And he believed God would. And through that, he was able to push down that whole temple of Baal or whatever it was on top of his enemies. And through that act of faith, he was remembered. And God remembers that part of him. Thank God he does that, right? Because there's so many things that we do wrong. I'm so glad that God remembers the things that we do well. And we see all these other things that happen throughout the Bible. What's the common theme? Faith. They all had faith, and we should too. There are better things waiting for us on the other side, and there are things that we will never be able to achieve on our own, but we know that God is able to do it. And so it enters into chapter 12 with that understanding of what happened in chapter 11. Therefore, considering everything we just talked about, about these heroes of faith, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, talking about these men that came before us, we need to do something. We need to lay aside every weight or every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We have a race to run. We have a course to follow. And that course is God's will for you and the ministries and the service that you're going to render to him. So you can't work in God's service if you're being weighed down with things, being weighed down with grief, being weighed down with anxiety, being weighed down with distractions, being weighed down with divided allegiance, being divided with selfishness, and the list can go on. But also the sin that so easily entangles us. We each have our vices right? Mine is video games. I can get so easily hooked on video games and I abandon God every time. I will not make progress as a Christian if I do not abandon video games. I know that and it's the hardest thing in my life right now. But yet I know deep down in my heart that is what I need to do. I need to forsake video games and run my course 
fully. Which means that even though I'm doing good things right now, I could be doing more, greater things perhaps. And that's not what motivates me. I'm not trying to be the best person ever or try to do things above and beyond what I'm doing now. But I want to be able to follow the Lord with a clear conscience. I want to follow the Lord without anything or anyone holding me back. And right now, the only person holding me back is me. And I'm sure that many of you are the same. So cast aside these weights and these things that drag us down so that we can run with confidence and with a clear conscience. Why? Because we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Not fix our eyes on earthly things, but fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And he is the one that we need to be serving. You think you have it bad, you have no idea. Jesus had it the worst. And also think of the martyrs in the book of Acts. Think of all the things that Paul went through. You think you have it bad right now? Look at verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you've forgotten Proverbs chapter 3, where it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, for the Lord loves those that he disciplines. If you're receiving discipline, it's because he loves you. You are his child. Don't fight him over it. He's trying to make you better. Like it says in verse 10, They, being our parents, disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. It's not fun, right? We know that. It's miserable being disciplined. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You've got to get in the fire so that you can be made into something better. And it's going to happen. And it says that if you're doing the will of God, you will be persecuted. You will endure trials. That's normal. But we should be learning something from those trials and being made better. Then he gives several exhortations of how we should be conducting ourselves with people and what motivates us and that we day to day do not reject God. Chapter 13 is a list of exhortations as to how we should conduct ourselves in society in the first half, especially with how we handle each other as Christians, how we handle marriage, and how we keep our characters as righteous as possible. Then it talks about what we do in spiritual duties, remembering the one most important thing. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He never changes. So don't be carried away by anything. Don't be influenced by false things. Make sure that we are obedient to the cross. Verse 17, to make sure we understand the context, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Are those your normal leaders? No. This is referring to your spiritual leaders, the church. So this assumes that you are meeting together and assembling together as a body of believers. Again, that is a command that we are to not forsake the assembling of Christians. 
So this is not talking about your boss at work. This is talking about your spiritual leader, your pastor, your deacons, your elders, so on and so forth. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Don't make it hard on them. Be submissive to their authority. And then we don't know who this is, but as he's giving his farewells, he mentions Timothy. But here's an important thing, another proof, I would think, that this is not Paul. Because it mentions him as our brother, Timothy. He never refers to Timothy that way. He always refers to him as his son. His son in the faith. But here he's calling our brother. So he is one of the people that is working as missionaries and as Christians during this time period, but we don't know who he is. But he does know Timothy. That much we do know. That's why some people think this might be Barnabas or someone else who is well-learned like him. But we don't really know. And we're never going to know until we ask God himself. And it's okay. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the book of Hebrews. Tomorrow, we will go through the wonderful book of James. Until then, thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.